This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Scripture reading today will be taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 63 to chapter 23, verse 25. I'll give us a moment to grab our Bibles, or you can follow the passage on the screen. Ethan will be reading for us the passage today. Hi, good morning. The scripture reading for today is taken from Luke chapter 22, verse 63 to chapter 23, verse 25. You may refer to your Bible or to the slides provided. Verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophecy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And he began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But he insisted, He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started it in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, He hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and have found no basis for charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? 
What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the word of God. A very good morning to everyone. Good morning. It's always a privilege to gather with God's people, and it's a privilege that we can have the Bible open up. So if you have a Bible, can I invite you to keep it open to Luke chapter 22, verse um, 63 onwards. Now today in the Christian calendar, it will be Palm Sunday, and this week is the Passion Week. By Friday, by Thursday, Jesus will have his uh, communion, or the Lord's Supper, we call it. Friday, he'll be dead. Sunday, he will rise from the dead. So this week is a heavy week for Christians, but it's also a joyful week of resurrection, hope for us because of Jesus. So if you have your Bible with me, it would be great to keep it open. I love the song Forgiven just now when we sang. Um, and this reminded me of an event probably three decades ago. It was a life-changing moment for me as a teenager. Now, I was trying to invite my friends to youth camps uh, as I try to as a, a youth. And who are the people that I can invite better than my best mates at the time? So one of them is an atheist. The other is of a different faith. Now, I could no longer remember the details of the conversation because it's almost three decades, but I clearly remember a discussion of our different beliefs as I tried to convince them to come for camp and they're trying to convince me it's a waste of time. So we had this conversation and while talking about faith and sin and good works with my friend from a different faith, I became convinced myself of what I learned from the Bible as a kid in Sunday school and that I was a sinner that needs forgiveness because I realized even as a teenager back then that there are often two main reasons why I did not want to do something wrong. The first reason is the price. I didn't think it was worth it to do it. Uh, whether it's cheating to get a few more marks, not that it's going to make me any better. I didn't think it was worth it. But the second reason is I didn't have the guts. I didn't think that I would want to face the consequence of doing something wrong. So I didn't have the guts to do it. So as we spoke about, or as he tried to convince me that we should do more good than bad and we can end up in heaven, I realized that I could never get into heaven. Because even when I try to do good and not do bad, I realized that there are plenty of bad in me. There is darkness in our human hearts that can get darker. And when I read about people who did terrible things in history, I just wonder, if I was in that person's shoe all his life, would I have done the same? And on Easter or Good Friday, when I read of people, the crowds wanting to put Jesus to the cross, I wonder if I was there with the crowd, would I have done the same? Now this morning, we come to a very dark passage 
that we call it the trial of darkness, the innocence of Jesus. So why don't we ask God to help us as we step into this very passage. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts as we step into Luke 22 and 23 this Palm Sunday. Help us to understand how dark our hearts can be and how desperate we depend on Jesus to drink your cup of wrath on our behalf. So speak to us, we pray. Amen. Now, the words of Jesus in Luke 22, 53, last week says this. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. The religious leaders had finally gotten Jesus. They had been plotting for this for a long time, and the darkness of the human heart began to show its tail with the arrests in the Garden of Gethsemane. The religious leaders, they arrested Jesus in the middle of the night. They brought him to the house of the high priest for an illegal trial in, night, in the night. Now, while the religious leaders unfolded their evil plans upon Jesus, the temple guards, they behaved just like their masters. Well, they knew about Jesus, for many had been calling him a prophet from God. And so... The guards blindfolded Jesus. In the night, they beat him up, insulted him, mocked him, yelling into his ears, prophesy, who hit you? And this went on for hours till the morning finally broke in with the roaster's crow. As the sun rose at daybreak, the Jewish leaders, they set up the official trial of the beaten up Jesus by their highest council of elders also called the Sanhedrin. Now, this council, the Sanhedrin, they represented the highest moral and religious orders of the Jewish people. But we learned that the high priest had already conducted his illegal tribunal. This so-called trial at daybreak was but a facade. They were just trying to find the smallest evidence to pronounce Jesus guilty of the greatest crime. And so they begin the trial with verse 64. It says, if you are the Messiah, tell us. Now, they were threatened early in the week. In this Passion Week, when Jesus cleansed the temple, they, he exposed their abuse of authority. For instead of drawing people to worship God, they have used God's temple to rob God's people. The hatred for Jesus had evolved over this time into this murderous plot during this Passion Week, and now they're determined to get rid of Jesus. Now, they were not really interested in who Jesus was when they trialed Jesus, but in what they could find to eliminate Jesus and secure their own powers. Now, they had no plans to believe or surrender to God's Messiah. They wanted to keep the powers, and they want Jesus' confession to get rid of him. Now, this is a familiar ploy that happens all through history, that has been used, whether it's politics, journalism, or even court cases. All the people needed is a statement from the accused to spin a story of the opponent, of the victim, or of the accused. And this is what is happening here. And even today, if you look around or read the news, 
you find that not everyone wants an answer when they ask a Christian leader to explain who Jesus is. What they really want is not to know whether Jesus is real, is good, is God. They merely just want a statement to spin a story about Christians' view of gender issues, abuse, war, heaven or hell. Not everyone seeks a thoughtful engagement. Sometimes many just want a swift condemnation of Christians as gender discriminating, divisive, irrelevant, or simply just horrendous. Verse 67, if you are the Messiah, tell us, tell us. In response, Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Now the council did not come to discuss God's word. They came to get rid of God's word. It was our human desire to grab power for our own detriment. Perhaps you and I, we have seen this in, in our own lives. When God's word threatened our worldly desires, we are tempted to either silence God's word in our lives or in our years, or we try to reinterpret God's word to kind of feed what we want. The heart is deceitful above all things, says Jeremiah. And it's not always hard to know the truth, but it is hard to obey and surrender to the truth. So now Jesus knew the religious leader would not answer him, yet he gave them the exact answers they were waiting for. And so Jesus continued, But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Now, as Jesus said these words, you could imagine the noisy council in the council room suddenly became silent. All the top religious, the, the top dogs of the religious society just stared at Jesus and almost in disbelief, did he just give us what we wanted? In the past, Jesus has often called himself the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. But it's so ambiguous. But at this point, he has just de de declared which Son of Man is he? Because Jesus has just claimed to be the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the mighty God. He has just claimed Daniel's prophecy of the divine king who is also mixed with David, King David's submission and prophecy of the divine Messiah who is to come. I want to invite you to look at these two passages. You might be familiar, but let me read them to us. This is a combined of what Jesus said. In, in Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14, this is what the prophecy says. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. It goes on that his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And again, Psalm 110, which Jesus had questioned them just a few pages back. He said this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now in Jesus' statement and declaration to the religious order, He has just left all the ambiguities away aside and said, I am the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son, who is from God. Because right away, 
as he declares this, they all answered and asked, Are you then the Son of God? Because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and they wanted him to seal it with his own confession. And this time, Jesus gave it to them. Verse 70, he replied, You say that I am. I am. Not the way you think, but I am. And 71, then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. So the Jewish trial revealed the darkness of the human power and the darkness of the desire for power. The religious leaders, they, they grabs their power by rejecting God's Messiah. Jesus' words from now on, what it really means is this, as he made this declaration from now on, is to point to this imminent path he's going to step into in these three days to the path of death from here on. It's, there's no point of return anymore when he made that profession. He, from now on, he is going to take this imminent path of death, but also this imminent path of resurrection and glory and to be at the right hand of God. We have read it just now in Philippians 2 and let me just Remind us what we read just now in Philippians 2.8. Because earlier it says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that is what Jesus is saying. From now on is imminent that I shall take the death and I shall take the eternal glory. Jesus spoke of the certainty of this death. He spoke of his power from God. And... We move to chapter 23, verse 1 quickly because then everyone pick up their water bottles or whatever they have and they assemble. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led Jesus off to Pilate. And they began to accuse Jesus saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be, the, to be Messiah, a king. Now, who's Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the historian tells us that he is the fifth prefect of the Roman province in the time of Jesus in Judea. He was known to be a very, very violent man and had authority to put people to death. Now, earlier in Luke 13, verse 1, we actually were told that Pilate has slaughtered a group of Galileans. So surely he will have no trouble killing one more Galilean here. He's done it before. And so the Jewish council worded their religious accusation as a political accusation before Pilate. So this is their charge on Jesus. What are their charges on Jesus? They said he was subverting their nation. He, Jesus was a threat to the Roman Empire. And how so? Two allegations there. The first, they claimed Jesus opposed paying tax to Caesar. But really it was a twisted lie by misquoting Jesus' words back in Luke 20 when Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. They just twisted it and said he didn't want us to pay tax. And the second allegation, they claim Jesus has declared himself Messiah, but that means nothing to, to Pilate. They say Jesus is declaring himself a king. 
and Jesus would be a potential threat to Caesar and the Roman authority. Now, the first allegation didn't draw much serious concern with Pilate. For the second allegation, he took it up and he asked Jesus this word. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said so. Not the way that they are trying to say that I am, but I am the king of the Jews. Now, Luke did not record the details of Pilate's interrogation, but the conclusion was clear. If you have your Bible open, Pilate found no basis for a charge against Jesus. Whatever Jesus did, he was clearly not a political threat. So this was the first of three times Jesus was announced innocent by Pilate in this short passage. Now, the religious leaders and crowds, they were, they were just relentless because they have a goal to meet. They want this man dead. So they refused to accept Pilate's verdict. They insisted that Jesus had stirred up the people with his teaching from, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Well, in some sense, it is true because the whole ministry of Jesus was his word ministry and he stirs people up either to return to God or to oppose God. It's got nothing to do with politics, but they, they ship it in this way. And at this point, Pilate is not a stupid man in this political tense place that he has been a leader of. Hearing that Jesus was a Galilean, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod Antipas for further examination because Herod had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Again, Herod is also a politically shrewd man. He come here to please the people. He celebrates what the people celebrate and he's here in Jerusalem. And, that's, and this is where we have Pilate, Herod, they're both in the same place. And this is what we know about Herod, actually. In Luke, he was the ruler of Galilee. He was a self-obsessed ruler. He took his brother's wife as his own. He beheaded John the Baptist at a party. Jesus called him a fox in Luke 13, when the religious leader says, Herod wants to kill you. So he's not a good man. He's a very self obsessed ruler. So as they moved Jesus from this one government building to the next to find Herod, the crowd was starting to gather because the, the day has, has come. The momentum was building. The accusation was heated up. But when Herod saw Jesus, it was, it was almost like an amusement park to him because he was pleased. It was an opportunity to satisfy his own curiosity, if not to entertain himself. Look at verse 8 to 12 of Luke 23. When Herod saw Jesus, Scripture says, he was greatly pleased. He had wanted to see Jesus perform some signs of some sort of entertainment. Now, he had many questions for Jesus. One of them would have been from Luke 9 because he was curious to know whether Jesus was John the Baptist because he behaved John and people say, hey, John the Baptist is around and say, so is this the same guy? So he will have plenty of questions for Jesus. You can imagine the scene. There you have in, in the hall where Herod the ruler was sitting there enjoying himself. On one end, the chief priest, religious leaders, was making all kinds of uh, accusations vehemently in front of Herod. And Jesus was there and he was asking his own questions. Jesus didn't answer. And next to him on the side were Herod's soldiers 
we're told that they start to ridicule and mock Jesus because they kind of follow the master, right? If the master is mocking Jesus, so will they. And when, G- when Herod finished his trial, he got no answer, it's a waste of time. He put on this elegant robe of mockery on Jesus and sent Jesus back to Pilate. To Herod, Jesus was innocent. He was a nobody to him. Now, Luke added this very curious verse 12 in the midst of this trial that Herod and Pilate became friends. Because here's the thing. In, in the past, can you imagine that Pilate had murdered Galileans and uh, they, they're always fighting for who's, who's greater. But here they have this um, acknowledgement of each other's jurisdiction and judicial authority. In Jerusalem, Pilate gave Herod, this is your man, your man, your people. It's kind of acknowledging the, the jurisdiction that he has. And that Herod is, I'm in Jerusalem, it's your place, this is your guy, this is your guy. And so from uh, political enemies, now they have become friends. Now again, Pilate, as he gathered the chief priests, the rulers, the Jews, he said to the people, verse 14, look at verse 14 with me. He says, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I found no basis of your charges against him. Neither has Herod. You guys were there. For he has sent him back to us, as you can see, he has done nothing wrong deserve, to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. Now, the people knew Jesus. Jesus was a man known for his love, his compassion, his miracles, his teachings. But he was accused by his own people for inciting a rebellion. Now, rebellion is a serious, serious offense to the Romans. Yet, Pilate, the Roman governor, Herod the ruler, could not find any basis against Jesus. They probably knew what was going on with these religious leaders and they want no hand in this, this jealousy. Both leaders found Jesus to be innocent. He had made no threat. So, for political reasons, Pilate and Herod barely had any reasons to like each other. But there's one thing they both agree at this morning. They both agree that Jesus was innocent. So for the second time, Pilate announced Jesus was innocent. Yet here at this Roman trial, the second trial, we start to see the failure of the human justice because justice began to crack when Pilate did not release Jesus, when Herod started to mock an innocent man and under the pressure of people, Pilate is going to punish Jesus illegally, just to please the crowd. But yet at the same time, we saw with certainty that Jesus was innocent and he was innocent and his silence spoke louder than the noisy gongs that were going around with the crowd. So as Pilate decided to punish the innocent Jesus just to appease the guilty, the evil, the judicial system, the justice system that humans are meant to have, breaks down totally in last section. So as we look at verse 18 to 25, we start to see that all the trials were eventually being overthrown because there is no more evidence needed. You just need to be loud. 
And so finally, while Pilate, the Roman governor, was unwilling to condemn Jesus, the crowd instigated by the chief priests, they wanted this innocent man dead. And so verse 18, look at it, verse 18. But the crowd shouted, away with this man. You know what? Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. So wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now around this time each year, Pilate, who has authority to kill, he has authority to give life as well. And so he has the right to release a convict. He wanted to release Jesus from this blatant demand for his murder, but to his amazement, and probably should be for the readers, the whole crowd, the Jews, demanded for the release of a convict murderer, a rebel, a Barabbas, in exchange for the death of Jesus, who have just healed a blind man when he walked into Jerusalem, who has done many and have fed thousands. And this was the third time and the last time Pilate announced the innocence of Jesus. You know, in exasperation, Pilate, who was not known to be a good man, he, he, he was not a good man. He shouted, why? What crime has this man committed? I found him, in him no grounds for death penalty. That is such an excellent question, isn't it? Why? Why must Jesus die? What crime has he committed? Because Pilate's answer is he has done nothing. Why must he die? Why must Jesus die? It is an excellent question when it comes here. And the passage gives us the answer. The cry for Jesus' innocent death when it prevailed, when the trials of Pilate Harrow overturned, it revealed the darkness of the world that wanted Jesus dead. The so-called victory of the people at this point revealed that Jesus had to die not because he was guilty, but because the people were guilty. Let me say that again. Jesus had to die not because he was guilty, but because the people were guilty. They would rather have Barabbas than Jesus. And this condition is our human condition it has happened all the time in every generation where people hate what is good because they love darkness you know whistleblowers are harmed when they try to tell the truth when we find darkness in our own hearts we do not want to be exposed by god's light when we want power over our own lives we will reject god's rule as the creator of the world this is the human condition and it's just expanded right here in the middle of history. John 3.19, he puts it this way. This is the verdict, says John. Light has come into the world, but the world loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the life of fear that their deeds will be exposed. The irony of the people's victory in putting Jesus to death reveals our desperate need for rescue because we are so sinful that darkness is always next to us asking for more space now dear brothers and sisters dear friends this this irony 
is also exactly what God saw before creation and he so willed his son Jesus to come and save us from his own wrath. But God so loved the world, we know that, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish from our own sins, but to have eternal life. No, Pilate, out of a fear, a riot, gave this unjust statement in 25. He released the man Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for and they surrendered Jesus to their will. You, you can imagine how perplexed Barabbas would have been in the prison. The noise is so loud, you can probably hear it in prison as what's happening. And they say, Barabbas, get out. He was chained. He was come out of his prison. He says, what's happening? And he saw this huge crowd. For a moment, he might be afraid because the people were crying for his imprisonment. But now these same people are crying for his release. Has he done anything different? Nothing. He still deserves that. But that is the picture. The Barabbas was released because the judgment shifted from him, who has done nothing to deserve it, and shifted to Christ, who has done nothing to deserve his. The worst of sinners did nothing to deserve forgiveness, but he was forgiven. This is the picture of the great exchange that happens when we believe in Jesus. Our sins and God's wrath was placed on Jesus and his innocence and his righteousness was placed to us. This great exchange is what we call Christianity. This great exchange is what we call grace. And this is good news. We'll see that again next week's passage when Jesus was hung on the cross with two other robbers and again one will have his sins forgiven having done nothing and one will go to hell for what he has done and he deserves it. The difference comes on what they respond to Jesus. So in this overthrown trial by the crowd we saw the irony of their victory in pointing Jesus to death. It revealed our human sinfulness. It also revealed God's great rescue for us. The death of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, was revealed as God's sovereign will in the midst of human darkness. So this was the certainty of Jesus' mission. He came for this great exchange, our lives for His this was what Jesus prayed for to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Dear friends, as the, at the start of our journey, I mentioned two friends, two friends whom I tried to invite to a youth camp, our conversation, they didn't come for camp. My conversation with my friend from a different faith convicted me that the Bible is true, I'm a sinner. The second friend that I had a conversation with, he's an atheist, and what impacted me, I can't remember the conversation, it's been three decades, but what impacted me in my conversation with him was the impossibility for me to be an atheist. Because if I could not believe that I could throw a few hundred metals and shake up a beautiful, exquisite watch or a nice, a nice bike, just throwing things randomly, what faith do I have that God... Would make, that we will be made randomly as who I am. And who do I give thanks to on a rainy day when I have no umbrella that my nose is pointing downwards and it's not flooding upwards? 
who do I give thanks to? Randomness. There's nothing for me to... So that moment was a conviction that I couldn't be an atheist unless I could believe in random making of everything else that man is able to make that's inferior to us. In today's passage, the Bible tells us Jesus was here not by randomness. It was in the whole scripture from Old Testament right to this point that it is man's sinfulness that puts him to death, but it was God's good pleasure and his love and his sovereignty that pushed Jesus to the cross as well. And this is where, as we end, as we close, that we see the trials of the darkness, but we saw the innocence of Jesus, but even still we see God's greater plan to save us by the death of his son on Passover. So as we approach Group Friday, just a few days from here, as we approach Easter, we are given these two choices, and this reminder that we have two choices, that we can grasp power for ourselves and reject God's Son, or we can turn to God's Son and lean on His power to be forgiven of our sin, and not to share the crumbs of this world that will perish by the eternal feast that God has prepared for His Son and those who call Him Lord. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank You as we step into your past into uh, the Passion Week, into Palm Sunday, as Jesus stepped in, he was insistent that he would fulfill your will for him, and he did. And because of that, we have the celebration of pain and sorrow of our sins and this celebration of joy and forgiveness in Christ. So this week, as we remember Christ as Christians, Help us to reaffirm our faith in Him that He deserves all glory because He came to save undeserved barbers like us. But for those of us who are still pondering about our life, we pray, God, that You speak to us, that Your Holy Spirit will help us and open our eyes, that we can ask questions, not just to convict that Christians are horrendous, but that we have an honest and open engagement that if Jesus is truly God and He really can forgive us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.